Well, you have a new, video, a new pastor. This is exciting, July the 4th. She wants to share something with you. Oh. Bell here. We just want to say hello, and first of all, happy Mother's Day to all the ladies from the church and those who are spiritual mothers to others. Uh, we just bless you today. Hope you're having a great day. We want to touch base and let you know that we're looking forward to coming to Peterborough this summer. And uh, we are so excited about what God's going to do. We want to thank you for your prayers during this time. And thank you so much for making us feel welcome when we were there last Sunday. Uh, we look forward to all that God has for us in Peterborough and at Calvary. We hope you have a great day. Bye. Congratulations on a new pastor. This is wonderful news. Wonderful. It's so exciting. Well, we're on a series called The Healthy Church, and last week, we talked, two weeks ago, we talked about that God wants us to finish the work. We don't just laze around once we become believers, but we actually bring to completion the work that God has put in our hands, just as God continues to work on our behalf, and Jesus continues to work to win and to save and to love. We're so glad that God's busy doing that. Uh, we also want to talk today about the fact that He wants to build His church, uh, it's always interesting to me how history intersects with life, and sometimes we can get a little cloistered in the church, and we think, oh, this is the world here, and then we go there, and it's a different world altogether, and every once in a while, we find a reference in Scripture that changes that. So, I want to talk to you today about a little bit about Alexander the Great. Anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great before? Where were the rest of you? <laughs> Alexander the Great. Uh, Alexander the Great was, uh, became king of Macedon at the age of 20. His, uh, his father, Philip, passed on the throne to him. He was only 20 years old. And he actually expanded and created the largest empire in the history of the world up to that moment. It was absolutely phenomenal. It actually gets bigger than that. It was just, it was so huge. And all of that was in 13 years. He actually took over and became king at 20, and he actually died at age 33. He was a student of, of Aristotle, uh, just unbelievable, amazing. And to this day, and for years and years and years, when people wanted to understand the best ideas about warfare, he was the guy that they studied. Well, what in the world has that got to do with Scripture? Well, here's, here's what happened. Alexander had a stepsister named Thessaloniki. And Thessaloniki was married to one of Alexander's generals named Cassandra. And Cassandra, in honor of his wife, under the power that he had because of, the, of this empire this, that, he, that had been built by Alexander the Great, was able to plant a city and plant a church at his discretion. And so he planted a church, and he named it Thessaloniki, and it actually became eventually Thessalonica. And we discover Thessaloniki or Thessalonica in the Scriptures because Paul shows up there and spent 17 or 18, and it's 18 months there, and he establishes a church. So when he arrives in this church, it was a massive church, massive city already. It was the second largest church in all of Greece at the time after Athens. And when Paul arrived there, it was probably about 65,000 people. And it all started with Alexander the Great. If he hadn't conquered that part of the world, there would have been no city called Thessalonica. And there would have been no book in your Bible called Thessalonians. 
1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are letters to the churches that were founded there by Paul, dating back and surrounded by this whole issue of Alexander the Great. That probably doesn't mean a thing to you, but it means something to me somehow. And of course, it was a Greek city, and by the time Paul got there, it wasn't under the power of Greece anymore. It was under the power of Rome. So when Paul got there, it was a very ungodly city. Christianity hadn't impacted the city at all, and so all kinds of people worshiped gods. In fact, you had to worship gods in order to be part of the cults of the city, and that meant you were prosperous and had business. So I'm not going to take time to look at them all, but here are just some of the Greek gods that you could have served if you wanted to. That's quite a list, isn't it? And if you weren't happy with that, then you could have the Roman gods. It makes you kind of thankful to just have one, doesn't it? And one that's alive. And some of those gods you'd never even heard of before. They weren't important. They never really existed. The God we have lives in us. What a radical thought. And so Paul comes to Thessalonica, and he, and he does something, an extended say, and he does something in, in the book of Thessalonians that he doesn't do anywhere else in the Scriptures. The Bible sort of reveals and hints, and history has sort of told us, that probably, probably planted 20 or more churches. But in this book of Thessalonians, he actually tells us something profound. He actually tells us how he built the church. This is the only place in Scripture where it says that. It's the only place we read it in Scripture of how you built a church. And I thought, maybe that will be worth looking at. If we could figure out how Paul did it, maybe it has an implication for us today. How did he build the church? And how do we have a healthy church? Maybe we have a healthy church because we built it the way Paul built it. And so we find it in Thessalonians. Here's what it says. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you would become so dear to us. Hmm. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Hmm. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. And in this text, Paul says, I built this church by becoming a mother to you, a brother with you, and a father for you. That's how we built the church. I thought it was worth examining those for a moment if we could. So it wanted mothers. Now, look what he says. We were, up, we were gentle. Uh, I got to get back. I got to get back. There we go. We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We love you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. I find it interesting, this text, because when you think of Paul, you know, I don't know how much you know the Scripture, but when you think of Paul, if you read the Bible at all, when you think of Paul, the word mother doesn't exactly come to mind. He supposedly was kind of short, 
a little banty and a kind of a feisty guy, and he took on things, and he took on the church, and he took on the charge, and he confronted gospel people that fought the gospel, and he just, he just, he wrote all the letters because he was making sure you knew what the truth was. And he says, I was like a mother among you. He says, I, he says, I was gentle. I was gentle like a mother. I marked with generosity and sacrifice. And, and, and hear me, folks, this is, this is not a gender statement. He's not saying that he becomes this female. He's not changing gender. He's not saying that. What he's saying is that it's a relationship statement. Because it's a relationship statement, he could be a mother. Now, this is uh, Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day. I don't know who helped me there, but thank you. Mother's Day. And, uh, you know, if you have a wonderful relationship with your mother, we're so glad. And if you didn't, you know, some people long to be mothers and aren't. And I don't know about you, but my mom's gone, and I miss her often. I think of her on a regular basis till all these years later. She's been gone a long time. Uh, we just want to care about everybody who wanted to be a mother, is a mother, struggles in motherhood, has challenges in motherhood. We want to celebrate with all of that. And Pastor Michelle, by the way, is a mother. I just don't know if you know that. The young lady on the left is Michaela, and the young lady on the right is Hope. Just thought you might want to know that about your new pastor. I actually had a mother. I thought, can you handle a little humor today? It's too late. It's in my notes. (laughs) Things I learned from my mother. Uh, My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. (laughs) My mother taught me religion. You better pray that that comes out of the carpet. (laughs) My mother taught me reason because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me logic. If you fall out of that swing and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. Okay? My mother taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. That was one of my mother's favorites. Wow, she loved that one. My mother taught me contortionism. Well, you look at the dirt on the back of your neck. (laughs) My mother taught me medical science. If you don't stop crossing your eyes like that, they're going to freeze that way. My mother taught me extrasensory perception. Put on your sweater. Don't you know that I know when you're cold? My mother taught me humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. (laughs) My mother taught me diplomacy. I don't want to hear who started it. It takes two to fight. She had a policy. If we fought, she just took it away on us. I have to confess, in my pre-conversion days, if my sister had something and I wanted it and she didn't want to share, I started a fight. Because I was pretty determined. If I couldn't have it, she wasn't having it either. And my mother, every time, would take it away from both of us. Don't look at me like that. Some of you are just like that. <laughs> my mother taught me sharing. Play nicely or take it away from both of you. I just explained that. I have a sister named Aura. She remembers all of this. But most of all, my mother taught me uh, Love. You know that whatever you do, whatever happens, I'll stand behind you because I, I love you. You know that I will always love you. Is there anything like a mother's love? I haven't found it this side of heaven, outside of God. I don't know anything better than that. 
So here's the picture, wanted mothers. This is the story of a mother who has a newborn, and she holds it in her arms, and you admire the baby, and we should. I went to the kids' wing this morning to admire some babies. Uh, I love babies, and you know, you'd like to hold one, but they don't want to give them to you or her to you because you might not hold them just right. Paul says, I was like that with you. I, I loved you. I, I reached into your life. I, I, I cared for you. Someone described a mother as this, as somebody who loves with total abandonment. You just hold nothing back. You give everything away. And Paul said, when I came to you, you didn't know faith at all. When I came to you, you didn't know Jesus at all. When I came to you, you were completely ignorant of the gospel. When I came to you, you were living in your sin, and I loved you like a mother. I held you in my spiritual arms, and I poured my life into you, and I poured my soul into you, and I loved you with total abandonment. I held nothing back. Hmm. I gave you lavish affection. I loved you. I told you that I loved you. And I told you that I loved you because God loved you. And I wanted you to know my love because I love you because God loves me and I want you to know the same love that I know. And what I really want you to know more than my love for you, I want you to know how much God loves you. God loved you enough to send his son to die for you so that you and God could have a personal, intimate relationship because God loves you and I love you also. Lavish affection. That's the message Paul said I brought. The message of the gospel is always a message of love, friends. And if we do it any other way, then we're not really doing it God's way. I was in San Diego, and these well-meaning people I know, they were well-meaning, but I was downtown going out for dinner in a restaurant, and these people were trying to share their faith, and they had big postcards, God sees your sin, God will get you. God does see our sin. And God does want to get us, but not as punishment. He wants to get us with grace. He wants to transform our lives and bring us into an intimate relationship with God like a mother. If you think about it now, if Paul can feel like a mother with lavish affection and total abandonment, that's what God does. He's just a reflection of God. In total abandonment, he gave his son to die in our place. And in lavish affection, he pours out resurrection life so we can know him. Anybody here, uh, anybody here is somebody who loved you like that when you came into the kingdom? Anybody? That's how I was loved. I was just a kid off the street. Just a kid, no gospel background. And I got invited to this church and they sang something that I'd never heard before. We sang hymns. That, but it wasn't just the words. It, they were so full of life. There was, there was something vibrant about the worship, and I had never known that before. And Then I met these people, and they were all so glad I was there, and I'm thinking, you don't even know me. Did you feel like that when you got here? I hope so. And then, and then they began to tell me about this Jesus guy and how much he sacrificed for me. And I felt loved by them as they were telling me the love of God. And these two people in particular took me under their wing and just taught me what love was about. One of them is the woman I'm now married to 55 years later, the wife of my youth. We weren't dating then. I was a project then. 
I hope I rewarded her by making it more permanent. Paul says, that's, that's what I was like with you. Um, hmm. if, we dream, if we dream of a church that will bring many people into his kingdom, then we're, then we're going to need a whole new generation of mothers who will give lavish affection to others with total abandonment. It's the only, it's the only way it's going to work. This is not old. This is new. <laughs> this is old and it's new both. That this, if it worked for Paul, why wouldn't it work now? Well, why, if we could go right into a city that knew nothing of God and he began to teach them and he loved them with, land, with total abandonment and all of a sudden a church gets started because people came to faith, i got to believe it might work in the city of Peterborough. All it's going to take is a few of us. And if we do that, it just changes things. I, I am suggesting you take somebody into your life But more than that, I'm suggesting you take somebody into your heart and love on them. Just love them. Hmm. Paul says, you became so dear to us that we were willing to give our lives for you. Isn't that like motherhood? By the way, I did discover grandparenting was even deeper a little bit. You know, really, as a a parent, you give your life in a minute for your kids, right? But you give your life in a second for your grandkids. Just in passing. That was for free. If you had somebody in your life that mothered you, maybe today would be a good day to say thank you. Why don't you send them a text or an email or pick up the phone? Why don't you go visit them and say, you know, you were that, you were that person in my life that got me started, that got me to believe for the first time that God loved me. Why don't, why don't we do that? And just see what God might do. Let's say thank you to the people who've mothered us in the faith. And if you're here today and you'd long to have that, you've never really had a spiritual mother, this might be a good day to say, God, I'm missing that. I really want that. I really need that. Would you, God, would you send me somebody? And all the time you're praying that I'm asking you, would you offer yourself to be a spiritual mother for somebody both inside the church and out? so that the people who are praying for one and you're praying to be one might actually gather and connect with one another and just think how the church would be transformed. Friends, I need to say to you, mothers are one of the keys to kingdom and church life and church health. We cannot build the church without people understanding how significant that is. And if this church is going to be all that God wants it to be, and when Pastor Michelle comes, she's going to need a whole bunch of people lined up and say, I'm willing to be a spiritual mother for people. I'm going to lavish affection on people, live for total abandonment for people who are outside the kingdom and people in the kingdom who are hurting and wounded. I'm going to stand with them. We're going to be God's church, and we're going to build God's church God's way. We're going to be, have a healthy church because we're going to have it full of mothers, spiritual mothers. not a gender statement. It's a relationship statement. I'm intrigued that Paul figured this out so clearly, and then he goes, for mothers, he said, Wanda, we want more mothers, and then he said, then... Well, then there's brothers as well. Do you remember what it says? Surely you remember brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witness, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. Paul calls himself a brother. I love this. I have a brother. I couldn't find a picture of him. 
He's almost nine years older than me. And we were raised really poor folks, like poor. I don't know how many years I shared a bed with him, but it was too many. Can I tell you that? Uh, I often think about him and I care about him uh, deeply. And I, I learned a few things uh, from my brother. Um, here's a few things I learned. I learned there were two sides in the back seat of the car. And not only was his side bigger than mine, but there was an invisible line between his side and mine that I was not allowed to cross. Hmm. Sound familiar to you? I learned that when he got in trouble, I was a convenient person to blame. Bill did it. Huh. I learned that testing and being picked on was going to be a way of life. Anybody resemble that remark at all? I learned that when he was with his friends, I was the last person on earth he wanted to have around. Hmm. I learned very early that he was stronger than me and I was not going to win many skirmishes. Nine years older than me. Pre-conversion days. Pre-conversion. He had treated me really badly one day. And I was young. He was about 17 at the time, so I, that would make me about nine, eight. And I had to go to bed earlier than him, and I must confess, I lay awake until he got there. And I waited till he fell asleep on his side of the bed. And I sat on his face and pounded his head. <laughs> and when he woke up, he really, I really paid the price. <laughs> Can I be honest with you? Even thinking about it now, it was kind of worth it. <laughs> but that was my pre-conversion days. Here's some other things. I learned that, um, that he cared enough about me to give me, give in to his own wants at times just to make me happy. And I learned that he always believed in me. He taught me, the, he taught me a great lesson. He taught me it was okay to trust people and to be yourself even when you wanted to be somebody else. To this day, we share a great affection back and forth. And Paul says, when I came to you, I came like a brother. I came like an older brother. And I'm like, mother, this is not a gender statement. It's not. It's a relationship statement. You could be a brother or a sister. The designation doesn't matter. What happens and what matters is the relationship. And here's what Paul taught them. Paul said that when I came to you, I was one of you. We were together. We became friends. We belonged together. We belonged to the same family. And everybody needs to belong. That has never changed, folks. Everybody in the streets today wants to belong to somebody. Everybody where you work belongs, needs to want to belong to somebody. Belonging is part of life. We all want to belong. Some need a big circle, some need a small circle, but we all want to belong. And Paul said, when I was with you, I helped you belong. I helped you belong to the body of Jesus. I helped you belong to the body of Christ, and I taught you what it was like to be a brother and a sister in the faith, and I poured my life into you, and I made you feel welcome because we belong together. And in that world, he saw something profound. He said, we have equality. We're exactly the same. We are equal. Do you know one of the dangers of being in a platform like this? People think you're more spiritual than you are. People think you're better than you are. Can I tell you what I am? I'm exactly what you are. I am a person who was lost, lost, lost. And I found hope and life in Jesus Christ. And at the foot of the cross, we are remarkably equal. We're just the same. We're people who needed a Savior. 
And he came and saved us and made us his. That's what Paul said to them. There's no lordship in the body of Jesus. There's nobody better than another. We're all made equal. We're just sinners who've been saved by grace. Thank God. One of the hardest lessons I've had to try and teach people. Somebody's in a mess. Oh, pastor, would you pray? And I say, no. <laughs> they think I'm unspiritual. I am. No, no, because my prayer is not one bit better than yours. Do you understand that? You have as much access to the Father as I do. There's no difference. Look around the people. Look around. Everybody around you has the same access to the Father because we belong. There's an equality in the body of Jesus. And Paul's teaching that. Isn't this an important lesson? Paul says this really matters. And to prove it to them, he identified with them. He never took a penny. He never took an offering. He was a tent maker. Have you know that? And so when he went and worked, he said, I know what it's like to be tired. I work just like you. I come home. I'm just tired, just like you. I have the privilege of not having to work except with you. That's a gift. But he wanted them to know that they were fellow travelers in the kingdom. They belonged to a community of faith. I just have a feeling that maybe, just maybe, this really matters today. It mattered then. I think it might matter now. So <laughs> how, many, how many of you have an, a friend in the church? Well, about a third of you. I feel really bad for the rest of you. No. How many of you actually know somebody in the church you could count as a friend? See, that's God's gift to you. And you're God's gift to them. And maybe today would be a really good day to say, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for mentoring me. Thank you for pouring into me. Thank you for making a difference in my life. Maybe. I was pastoring this church in Smith Falls, and it just started to grow. We had so many people got converted, and I couldn't keep up with everybody. And I remember sitting with my board, and I said to them, look, there's five of you, and there's all these people, and I can't keep up, so I'm going to make a suggestion to you. Here's your name across the top, and here's the list of all the families in our church. I'm going to ask you, would you connect with two of them every month, each of you? You can have them in your home. You can go to their home. You go for coffee. I don't care how you do it. Just have some connection with them per month. And they agreed to do that. And then we got to the next board meeting. Under their name, I put a check beside the families that they had connected with. And after three months, all five of them had connected with the same 20 families. And the board, one of my board members said, Pastor, have you noticed what we've done? We connected with the same 20 families. That's not right. Why have we not connected with others? Well, I guess we know these people better. And they went on a journey to connect with every family in our church. And that church grew from, 100 and, from 65 to 130, 170 to 200, 225. And almost none of it had to do with me. It had to do with people in the body being the body of Jesus to one another and telling everybody that walked through the doors, you belong here. You're welcome here. You're wanted here. I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling this might still work today. Is that a radical thought? Work for Paul. said, so this is how we built the church when we're with you. And, and, and then he goes on and says, just in passing, just in passing as a side lesson, 
when I modeled Christ for you as your brother, I actually modeled integrity, I modeled holiness, and a desire for God, and righteousness, and blamelessness. So we're not offering them the brokenness of our lives, we're offering them the grace of God which is in our lives. We don't have to be perfect to be brothers and sisters, folks, but we have to be His, and we need to have them to know that we're His, and that His grace and, pur- His grace and purpose and mercy can touch them like it touched us. You know the greatest news of our lives as believers? We've been forgiven. We have been forgiven. And we can offer that to anybody and everybody as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's incredible. So maybe, 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 maybe spirituality results from all of that. What do you think? Maybe we really become God's church. Huh. Maybe you should say thank you to somebody. And if you're here and you're kind of lonely and you feel alone, maybe today would be a really good day to say, God, why, would you give me a brother or a sister? Would you give me somebody that will care for me and I can care for them? And God, uh, would you let me be a brother or sister for somebody? So all the people that are praying for brothers and sisters are going to meet all the people that are praying to be brothers and sisters. So we can be the body of Jesus, the community of God. What a radical thought. Friends, it's a term of endearment. You're my brother. You're my sister. We belong to each other. Brothers are one of the keys to kingdom life and church health. Sisters, if you like. And if you're going to build a church and be the church that God wants it to be and you need it to be, when Pastor Michelle arrives... She's going to need a whole lot of you to be brothers and sisters and welcome people into community. Wanted brothers. Well, there's one more that Paul says. Paul says, I was just like that with you. I was just like a brother. He says, I was also with you like a father. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father, deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Again, it's not a gender statement. It's a relationship statement. I had a father. I've had many spiritual fathers. I had an earthly father. Here's some things I'd learned from him. My father taught me to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to do it, do it right. There are no shortcuts to perfection. My father taught me about consequences. If you don't stop playing with fire, you're going to get burned. My father taught me adequate, foul language is a sign of a limited vocabulary. My father taught me patience. When you get to be my age, you'll understand. My father taught me to be inquisitive. There are no dumb questions, just dumb mistakes as a result of not asking enough questions. To this day, I ask questions all the time. My father taught me fairness, return borrowed things in better shape than when you borrowed them. My father taught me life. There are two types of trouble. One is the trouble you knowingly walk into, and the other is the trouble that just happens. It's important to know the difference. My father taught me trust. Everyone is a friend until proven otherwise. My father taught me values. The world can change everything about you except your point of view unless you allow it to. Here's my favorite. My father taught me about justice. He said to me often, one day you'll have a child and I hope they're just like you. My daughter was a bit of a challenge at times. She has four kids. When her second child was born, we were so excited because she's just like her. 
And I remind her on a regular basis, every time there's a challenge, you deserve her. This is what you did to us. <laughs> can, can I be honest with you? When I was 18, my dad was as dumb as a doorstick. He was. He was the dumbest man on earth. And when I was 22, I could not believe how much he'd learned in those four years. Like, I was amazed. How could anybody learn that much in four years? Four years later, he became one of the mentors of my life. To this day, I want to be like my dad. One kind word from him meant everything. And Paul said, I came to you as a father. I was just like a father with you. Huh? As a father, he called them to responsibility. As a father, he challenged them and instructed them. Here's what one author said. He had admonished them so they would act, would act free, so be act freely, sorry, encouraged them so they would act gladly and testified so they would act reverently. Paul, Paul called them to faith and responsibility. He had great affection for them, but because he was affectionate with them, he wanted them to have the very best of God. And so here are the things that he did for them. Number one, he encouraged them. He wanted them to know what it meant to be in the faith. And so he taught them the word of God, and he taught them principles of the kingdom. And he taught them, it was like a private Bible study. It was a small group. And he just said, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Here's how to interpret the scripture. Here's what it means to pray. Here's how it, here's how it changes things. I had many of fathers. I'll never forget this guy, 35, lost a leg to cancer. And he's 42 when I met him. And he said to me one day, I'm a brand new believer. I Maybe I've told you this. I don't think so. And he said, Bill, tell me about your prayer life. And I told him and he laughed. And he said, that's not a prayer life. And I said, well, I don't know how to do it any different. He said, I know I'm going to teach you. And for a few weeks, actually, about every second week, for a few months, I would go to his house after youth on Friday night. And he'd be with me and we'd pray till two in the morning. He died, folks. He died at 45. He just died young with cancer. He was so meaningful in my life. On the day we were married, between the wedding and the reception, I had to go to the hospital and see him because he was my spiritual father, and he poured into my life so much that I became a believer and a follower of Jesus in truth and wisdom because he poured the truth of God into my life. Don't we need that? We need that. And then he came along and he said, I'm going to comfort you. It's not going to be easy all the time. There are people who are not going to be really good. The same church, a different man came to me. We wanted to have a new believer. And he said, you're really loving being in the kingdom, aren't you? I said, I am. You're excited about being a believer, aren't you? I said, I am. He said, good, it wouldn't last. He said, it really feels like you're hanging over the edge of the cliff and all you got is one hand and already two fingers have come off. And one of these days, all three are going to fall. All three fingers are going to quit. And I walked away and I thought, that's so encouraging. <laughs> Hear my heart, so not true. That's not true. Certainly circumstances come and persecutions come. But when you're in God, you're rooted in the kingdom and the God of glory never forsakes us or leaves us alone. And when you have brothers and sisters, you're surrounded by people you can talk to and be with and go to. Wow. Comfort them. He wanted to know that persecutions might come. They could stand in God. And lastly, he urged them to pursue God with all of their hearts and minds and souls and strength. 
He said, pursue God. We're going to talk about that one of these Sundays. I don't know about you, but I thank God for spiritual fathers in the faith. They really matter. Friends, can I say to you, we don't need more, a few of them, we need more of them. That's really the role of a pastor in many ways. It really is. It's the role of a pastor. And thank God for spiritual fathers. Can I show you a couple of pictures of some? Spiritual father in the faith. Looks pretty good next to that bike, doesn't he? He looks pretty good for an old guy. I didn't look that good when I was young. I know. Only a friend could say amen there. Recognize him? Spiritual father in the faith. I had lunch with them this week. Spiritual father in the faith. You ready? Here's your new spiritual father in the faith. It's not a gender statement. It's not a gender statement. It's a relationship statement. Pastor Michelle is coming to be a spiritual father. But let me say to you that it's not only clergy. It's not only pastors who are spiritual fathers. All of us can be. All of us need to be. All of us should be. We can change the lives of people around us. If we'll build them up in the truth. If we'll help them overcome persecution and challenges. And if we'll teach them to pursue God. We don't need fewer of them. We need more of them. Thank you. If you have somebody who's a spiritual father, today would be a really good day to say thank you in whatever way you want to do it. If you need a spiritual father, today would be a really good day to say, God, will you be my spiritual father? Yes. And then would you send somebody on earth to be a father with me as well? Yes. And then for all of us, we should say, God, would you help me be a spiritual father to somebody? So that all of you who are asking for one could find one with somebody because they're offering to be one? That's in the church. Can I tell you that's what the city of Peterborough is waiting for? They're waiting for spiritual fathers. <laughs> fathers are one of the keys to kingdom life and church health. When Pastor Michelle arrives, she's going to need a whole bunch of you to be spiritual fathers, wanted fathers. Well, this is how Paul built the church. Mothers, brothers, and fathers. He said, this is how I built the church among you. I just, I just have this sneaky suspicion. It still works. It still works. That's how God will build a church, can build a church. Not only that, I believe it works in every culture. I believe it works in every city, in every town. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how small it is. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how gifted or ungifted you are. This is how Paul built the church. And every one of us can do this. Every one of us can be mothers and brothers and fathers. And Paul finishes this with something profound. Here's what he says. He says, for you know, oh, let me go on here. That's, uh, maybe it didn't come up on the screen. It's supposed to, here's what it says. Who calls you, I probably did in the words, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 
That's what happens when we do this. When we're mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers, people get called into the kingdom and the glory of God. And the city of Peterborough will never be the same. And neither will you. Let's pray. God, this is incredible to me, absolutely overwhelming to me. You taught us how you built your church in Thessalonica. You wrote about it to the Thessalonians, and you shared it with us so that we could be a healthy church. And God, with every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I pray by your Spirit that you'll be at work today. And you would call ordinary people like we are to be mothers, to love on people with lavish affection and total abandonment and teach them what it means to be loved by God because we've been loved by God. Teach them the value of friendship and community because we're part of it. We're a welcoming group of people because we have been welcomed by the Father. We become fathers to people. We pour truth into them strength into them, and urgency for God into them. And God, when that happens, not only will this church be healthy, Peterborough will be healthier, and we will be healthier and happier than we ever imagined was possible. Wanted mothers, brothers and sisters, and fathers. Let's sing. Let's stand and sing.